Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 11 of the Parenting Aces Podcast, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and this week we are talking strength and conditioning training with James Shapiro, a strength and conditioning coach based here in Southern California, who I recently met online and am thrilled to have a chat with him and help you all understand the importance of strength and conditioning training, when your kids should start, and what they should be doing. Before I bring James on though, I just want to give you a quick reminder that we are going to be doing a special webinar for our premium members this Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Pacific time with Brian Park of APEAK. So if you are an annual or a monthly member and haven't received your invitation, please shoot me a quick email, lisa at parentingaces.com, so I can get you the link to join in the conversation on Wednesday. And if you're interested in joining and haven't become a premium member yet, this is the perfect opportunity. Go to parentingaces.com, click on the join button, and it'll take you step by step through the very simple process of getting signed up. All right, that's it for those bits of information. Now, let me bring you James Shapiro and our chat about strength and conditioning. Hey, James, welcome to the Parenting Aces podcast. It's nice to meet you after a few weeks of email back and forth, but uh, glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Lisa, for the opportunity. I know our uh, communications and emails, we've been playing tag, the phone call, just going back and forth, back and forth, forth, leaving messages. So uh, I'm really happy to be part of the episode and uh, love to jump into this, I think, really great discussion and piece uh, of what this episode is about, which is about fitness, which is about the strength conditioning uh, and just tennis. And a lot of the stuff I know you you have a bunch of questions that you'd love to ask for the long-term development and many other kind of subtopics. Yeah, absolutely. And just a reminder to the listeners, if you want to watch the video version of this podcast, you can do that on our website, parentingaces.com and on our YouTube channel. So if you want to see James's smiling face, you can check that out. But otherwise, um, we are on all your favorite podcast apps. So happy to have you, James. And let's jump right in. As I do with every new guest to the podcast, I want to just ask you how you got started in tennis. So we got to go back a while. Uh, And I was kind of a late bloomer to the game of tennis, as I learned also later on. But I started playing around 12 years old. And it came first from a source uh, that kind of somewhat is familiar with a lot of players starting off with the parents, right? So my dad got me into it because I saw him working with a few ITF, maybe some college players, some WTA players. And I never really paid attention to the game growing up. I was always playing 
other sports, baseball, soccer, and it kind of captured my mind. I was, I was so interested in it. And throughout the years playing and developing as a junior, I started to realize one, I was good, but I wasn't as great as maybe some of the people I work with right now. So that kind of cultivated me to still have a relationship with the game where I later became a USPTA professional level tennis coach throughout my college years. That was about four years granted and had some great opportunities inside the Northeast region. But that transitioned me into the personal training, the strength conditioning side of things for about now nine years. Now, ever since moving from coast to coast, I started to realize coming out here and working with a lot of people in the Southern California region that tennis needs to have its own respect in the game of fitness and strength conditioning. And I saw a void. Now, ever since moving back out here also, uh, I kind of seen that with the time that I've had, you know, after two graduate degrees that I can finally maybe go back to playing tennis because I, I hadn't picked up a racket in over nine years. And I fell back in love with the game. And uh, it's just been an incredible opportunity over the past two years almost to not only be working with tennis players of all caliber, we're talking about from the youth, junior, division one, recreational and ITF levels, but also play the game again and Mm -hmm. fall back in love. I love that. What did your dad do with tennis? What was his role? So he worked more on the physical end of things, the fitness side of things with a lot of these players, um, of which uh, I can't recall maybe some of their names, of course, but I remember at least two top 50 or I think one cracked top 25 WTA uh, tour. And he kind of introduced me in that route by Mm -hmm. first saying, hey, come with me. I'm going to go watch this player practice. And I was living in Queens. Uh, my whole family, and we walked into the, uh, I believe it's called the um, West Side Tennis Club. This is oh, where yeah. the U.S. Open, right? This is yeah. where the U.S. Open Famous. originally was played, right? Infamous area, and I remember it. We walked into this bubble. It was the winter, so it's cold, so you got to play indoors. And I just saw this one player, him rallying, practicing, and just something maybe clicked in my head. I was like, you know what? I I want to try this out. And my, my father, he fostered it. Uh, same thing with my mom, you know, supporting me throughout the process. And it kind of stuck with me throughout my teen and my years. And he helped me with my physical development alongside with some stuff on the court, but as well, a team of other coaches and, mm-hmm. you know, traveling along from the Northeast, especially more so the New York City region. Um, it was, it's definitely a memory of mine. I love it. I love it. And so now you are really focused on the off-court training of these tennis athletes. And as you said, you work with athletes of all ages, all levels, all interests in terms of where they want to take their tennis. But for the purposes of the Parenting Aces podcast, we're going to focus on the juniors who are developing to hopefully one day play in college, maybe go on to play professionally, who knows? And the off-court training is one of those things that kind of gets treated as an afterthought 
in junior tennis development because there's so much emphasis placed on time on the court with a racket in hand, making contact with the ball, learning how to move, learning how to develop tactics and strategies on court. That sometimes that off court training kind of gets pushed by the wayside. And oftentimes, until it's too late, right? A kid's at a tournament, either it's super hot and they haven't conditioned themselves properly to deal with the heat, or they have one of those breakthrough moments where all of a sudden, instead of losing in the first round or two, they're pushing through to the later rounds of the tournament and realize that they don't have the physical capacity to stay playing at that high level throughout the later rounds of the tournament because they haven't put the work in. And so then all of a sudden they come home and they scramble and it's like, oh my gosh, I've got to start doing this off-court work. The fallacy of that, of course, is really the off-court work needs to be happening hand in hand with the on-court work from a pretty young age. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. And I know the game has, and a lot of professionals, a lot of coaches, a lot of players and former players have this kind of difference of opinion of when should a child start? When should their son or daughter start playing tennis? And we we hear a lot of different answers. And from the professional realm of strength, conditioning, fitness, there are also a whole host of different opinions. Sure. But you know, starting as young as like let's say five years old to that nine-year-old range, mm-hmm. I think. It's a critical area for one, these kids, not just to practice on the court, like you just mentioned, you know, skill development, the tactical, the technical development at a young age is super important, but also having them just develop as athletes from the movement capacity side of things in a fun environment has to be a priority. Uh, it's it's something where in a long-term, you know, scheme of things and no parents gonna say, oh, that, you know, if their son or daughter loves playing tennis and is doing pretty well, that they just expect them to play for only about two, three years. Right. You know, we, we don't hear that. No. We hear that they want to keep playing and the enthusiasm is still there. So that same enthusiasm has to be fostered in the development for their fitness, their conditioning uh, and games, the variability of training. Uh, we could talk, I could talk endlessly also about what to do, but yeah. it comes down to how well they are developing their movement skills and capacity. And it's funny enough, kids are the quickest learners sometimes Sure. in the sense that you tell them to do one thing and all of a sudden, you know, they just almost transfer it right away, not just on the court, but the next session. Mm-hmm. So that variability and variety that you introduce to them in training is an utmost priority. Uh, And I'm going to just interrupt you one second, mm -hmm. because one of the things that we talk about a lot on the Parenting Aces podcast is you do have to develop the athlete first, the tennis player next, right? It has to start with overall athletic development, as you're saying. And you know, it's it's really sad, but for a lot of kids, they don't have PE in school anymore. They don't have recess anymore. They don't have these opportunities to just go to the playground and play on the monkey bars or play tag or kick a soccer ball around just for fun. It's just, it's not available to a lot of kids these days. And so 
Unfortunately, we have to manufacture opportunities for them to develop these types of skills. So because tennis is such an expensive sport, and we all recognize that, what are some things that parents can do if they have a young child looking to play tennis and maybe other sports as well? Because hopefully they're going to be multi-sport athletes until they hit puberty. That's the goal. What are some things that they can do at home to help their kids develop as athletes first and then develop the specific skills for their sports? I think is allowing those kids to be kids. You, you hit the nail with the hammer by saying, you know, there are these opportunities that when maybe when we grew up, we had PE, we had opportunities to have fun playing outside during school hours or even after school. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, our world has changed so much since then uh, that those opportunities have to be manufactured. They have to be produced. So allowing those kids to you know, crawl, to jump, to, to play games, like a simple game of tag, as funny as that sounds, has so many components of change of direction exactly. of, you know, reading nonverbal language. And they may not seem like training opportunities, but I guarantee you, you put like a group of five kids together, they'll create some game, some kind of obstacle course. And there's so many components of pure athleticism, especially with their size. Right. You know, if the, the younger, the crazier it gets, of course, you have to be careful, you know, what they're doing. But <laughs> you, it's absolutely insane how their bodies can contort and recover and change direction and run and jump. And that still has to happen. And right. all those things are low level kind of fitness related uh, objective measures but they're super important. So doing that stuff at home, um, introducing some small stuff from a ground-based system. Um, if you have, you know, some things at home, like small mini bands, small tubes, I've had stuff and opportunities with kids where, you know, I'm trying to crack up jokes, but at the same time, they're trying to juggle something and I'm asking them simple math questions like two plus mm-hmm. two, stuff like that. And that's cognitive training. Right. As well as hand-eye coordination and a lot of stuff on that end. I think parents, if they're looking to start off something at home like that, uh, your imagination is only going to be matched up with the imagination and creativity of your of your child. Right. I mean, even things like, you know, blowing up a balloon and batting a balloon back and forth and seeing how many times you can hit it before it touches the ground. Things like jumping rope, playing hopscotch. Um, All the things that, you know, sound old fashioned and kind of silly, but the skills that the kids develop by playing these different games or doing these different activities, first of all, it's not fitness training to them. It's a game. It's fun. So it, you know, lends itself to them wanting to participate, wanting to get better. And it doesn't have to be a you know, work or a chore, it, it should be fun. And secondly, it's something that can be done very inexpensively, if not for free, it can be done pretty much anywhere, even things like, you know, playing freeze tag, working on their balance, you know, where you yell freeze, and they have to stop where they are. And maybe they're standing on one foot, maybe, you know, they're, 
they have one leg extended and one arm extended in the opposite direction. They're working on cross body skills. All of that works their core. I mean, they're, as you're saying, the cognitive skills that they're developing by doing these types of activities as well, translate then into becoming better at their chosen sport or sports later down the road. So, yeah. So we're saying, you know, as soon as your kid is old enough to move, you can start things. I mean, there's the famous story of Wayne Bryan, you know, hanging the tennis ball mobiles over the boys crib, you know, and them batting at the tennis balls as infants. And, you know, they went on to, to do some pretty good things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of like organized fitness training, at what stage do you feel like a child needs to be doing, you know, something with a fitness trainer, fitness coach that is going to be tennis specific as opposed to athlete, you know, kind of specific? I think that age range is, you know, and this could be arbitrary. It could be off by a few years. I think definitely once a child, boy, boys and girls kind of differ a little bit oh, in yeah. that end for <laughs> when they also enter puberty and the stages of puberty. I think when those stages start to become present and, you know, we all know of, you know, kids or ourselves when we had our growth spurts mm-hmm. that we went from feeling normal or, you know, them feeling normal to all of a sudden feeling like a giraffe feeling like they just don't know how to move or they become clumsy out of nowhere. Uh, And if your child is a junior or you're a coach listening and you're working with juniors, you know exactly at that young stage what summer it happened in. And you're like, what the heck just happened? Now they can't run. Now, you know, these, these ground strokes and these serves and just rallies look completely different. And those kids are going to say that exact same word like you know my all these things just feel different i think that's a great opportunity to start not maybe working essentially one-on-one privately with a fitness coach a strength conditioning coach but it could be involved into a small group setting Mm -hmm. and i think that's a great area because remember these are still kids they're gonna be shot when they're with their friends or with other people that they know or friends that they develop in a group setting they can actually probably progress faster to that end. You know, the one-on-one private stuff, that's super important, especially when it comes down to specific needs and kind of areas that need to be developed for the tennis game. Mm -hmm. But after a while, you know, that, again, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 range, that's an area where if you're a parent listening or a coach listening, like, hey, when should I start? for tennis specific fitness and the strength conditioning, that's where you start. And we can go over all the areas, but that includes footwork, lower body, plyometrics and stability, balance, core strength, and to a small degree, listen, everything's happening also with the upper body from the chain going down and then up, then to the upper body. And then like you alluded to before, the conditioning, because as much as they can be playing on the court, what you do also off the court for aerobic conditioning, whether it's fun or different or other sports or different activities has to be considered in terms of that whole entire 
blender, as I call it, right? Of all of yeah. these activities. So when you add in that fitness, that strength condition component, you have to be aware, hey, I'm adding one more thing to this blender. I better not blow the top off, mm-hmm. but it's a gradual process all along the way. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, it's it's important to know that by starting to incorporate these different things into the blender, I love that analogy, um, you're teaching good habits and starting to instill those good habits in the player where, you know, you're teaching them how to warm up before they play, what to do, you know, in between matches, how to cool down, um, all of those types of things, those good habits, but also hopefully doing things that are going to prevent them from becoming injured, which takes them away from the game. And, you know, that leads to a whole other list of, of issues that can occur down the road. But so, you know, the goals of, of this off-court training are, again, to develop the overall athlete, to instill good habits, and to prevent injuries, right? I mean, that's that's really what we're looking to accomplish here. What are some of the specific things that let's let's start with the youngest kids, the kids that are just starting to enter puberty. And that's when you're saying they're starting to become a little awkward in their movement. Maybe their balance is off. Maybe they're tripping over their own feet or, you know, all of a sudden their serve motions out of whack because they're taller. Their center of gravity is not as low as it used to be. So what are some of the things to start at that beginning phase of puberty? I think it's introducing movement mechanics that are also going to be relative to their game. Like you mentioned, not just their balance, but how low can they actually go for, let's say, a very traditional coaching cue of a split step, right? Mm-hmm. Going from that position. And it starts off with the balance. You know, you got to have a foundation for everything you do. From that foundation of balance, I would highly, you know, recommend that small, low level, extensive, meaning, you know, low level, low stress, but a lot of volume of plyometrics. These are hops. These are skips. These are things that, you know, you could do almost for a whole court length and not really feel too much of it because most injuries of soft tissue stuff occur at the ankles, the feet. That's why I hear a lot. And I work a lot with a lot of players the ankles, the feet, the low back, the hips, and then the shoulders. Well, what do all three of those areas have in common? They're all mobile mobile locations, meaning I need to create more stability and control at those locations during rapid movements. So strengthening through the feet, the hips, and the shoulders, I think utilizing then stuff like medicine balls, you know, not holding a racket necessarily in your hand is a great opportunity. Understanding what form is and what posture is, because your posture is going to dictate what your purpose is for your movement. And if we can start working for, again, that balance, that control and movement, some low-level plyometrics, using a medicine ball for both lower body and upper body development, I think is a great tool before we get into any conversation about dumbbells, barbells, a lot of the traditional strength conditioning elements. Uh, It's something that you need to do. And 
Another great example, I know we've all seen it, and if you haven't encountered it or remembered it when you were growing up, the question is, when you see a child going through that stage of puberty, their limbs grow, they're taller, they're different, you know, size now with their limbs. Do they know how to run? I know it sounds like a funny question, but we don't necessarily learn how to run. We just do it innately. Now, if you ever watch a really young child, we're talking about under five, sometimes it's funny. They have the best running mechanics throughout their whole entire life because it's just natural. But as we grow, those mechanics become a little bit more raw. So, you know, developing running mechanics, footwork is a part of the game. Roger's been known to say the best players have been the best movers. So that movement quality and efficiency, I think is also paramount during that phase. Okay. And just to clarify for people that may not know, can you define plyometrics for us and give us some examples of what that would incorporate? Absolutely. So it's a ballistic or very uh, quick type of movement that usually occurs and generally understood from a lower body standpoint, meaning Mm -hmm. from your feet, uh, the contact with the ground is very, very short. It's very fast. Uh, Some examples can include, you know, utilizing two feet for hops, uh, jump roping, funny enough, is a example of plyometrics. You're not jumping high, but you're jumping very frequently, very and very fast sometimes, low to the ground. Other examples can include side to side shuffles that are kind of more or less jumps, uh, jumps for, or sorry, skips for distance, skips for height, um, kind of power step ups from a small box. Also jumping off of a small box or off of a park bench is considered a plyometric. There's absorption of all of this force and all of your weight into the ground. With the upper body, that can include anything from, I'd say the more medicine ball component first, Mm -hmm. that's easier to really grasp, you know, throwing a medicine ball like you would for a forehand or a backhand through a scoop motion, throwing it up into the air, um, you know, from an underhand position. If you're strong enough, you know, doing plyometric push-ups is another example where you're kind of jumping off the ground with either one hand, or if you're strong and you want to show off a little bit with two hands, but it is a power-based movement. And the game is all about that. It's one shot, of course, at a time. So how fast can you produce that power is important. And it's a big, and I'd say a kind of a main skill that players at all ages, all skill levels should be focusing on. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's plyometrics are one of the least expensive things you can do with a child, right? It really doesn't require any special equipment or anything. You can even do step ups, you know, and jump offs of curbs or like you said, park mm-hmm. benches or, I mean, a box. I mean, it's just, it's so simple. Of course, you don't need equipment for jumping and hopping and skipping. You can just take a kid out to, the driveway or take them into a park or wherever and have them perform these types of movements and build that strength and stability around those joints. And yeah, I mean, again, these are basic things that kids used to just do on the playground at school and they just don't have the opportunity as much anymore. So again, we kind of have to manufacture these opportunities for them to get these skills and these movements in. So once they're, they've started with the plyometrics at, at early stages of puberty, what's the next 
step in terms of their strength and conditioning? I think it comes down to coming off the court. Now, a lot of the stuff I mentioned, even the plyometrics, medicine ball, some body weight stuff, crawling, that could be done on a court also mm-hmm. or at home or in the backyard or wherever you want. But after a certain point, you know, these joints and the body, they, it needs to grow, especially from a muscular standpoint. Because prior to puberty, a lot of the development and strength and all that comes from a neuromuscular standpoint, the nervous system because there's no hormones that are introduced to the body. Now, after the fact, you know, when testosterone, estrogen all now start to play a bigger part, uh, we're talking about that stage of puberty and then going to the 14, 15, all the way up to the later teen years, you have to start developing your body from a muscular standpoint. Mm-hmm. So, you know, overload is a very simple concept. Uh, progressively, things need to get tougher, you know, from a physical standpoint, for you to see changes and to become, you know, stronger and faster, let alone more resilient for injury prevention purposes. So going into a facility where there are opportunities to use cables, to use um, dumbbells to a certain point, and because there are motions that you should be doing if you're a junior trying to develop and some things that don't really transfer, you don't really need to because Mm -hmm. The risk reward ratio isn't there. Uh, it's way too high in terms of the risk. And some stuff from a barbell perspective, um, you know, the, the limitations there are only based upon where this athlete, where this child is growing their experience as an athlete. And as you referenced earlier, sometimes these athletes don't do this until it's too late. And now they're playing catch up. Right. So the importance there is, you know, can we think about this as a long-term athletic development model from the kid stage, you know, five, six, seven, eight, all the way through their teen years. So that way around, as the game gets tougher, gets faster, and is more physically demanding, that those demands are matched up with what they're doing off the court. Yeah. Yeah. And before we went online, we were talking a little bit about how the mental side of the game really translates into the off-court training as well as the on-court training and concepts such as mindfulness, staying present. Those are skills that can also be worked on with a strength and conditioning coach. Can you talk a little bit about how those skills are incorporated into the off-court training and then translate into the off on, excuse me, into the on-court play. <laughs> it's yeah, Sunday. No, I'm in yeah. weekend mode. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that the same challenges, the same opportunities that these kids and junior players go through on the court, you know, whether they're struggling with one thing or another on the court, there are the same kind of challenges and opportunities off the court. Now, granted, you know, I have maybe experience to maybe a few other people as well, being not just a former junior growing up playing tennis, but also then becoming a coach, understanding that role, you know, working with kids uh, from again, five all the way to 18, 19, and then transitioning to the fitness and strength conditioning side that as a coach, I have a 
responsibility, but I also see an opportunity for that mental uh, and emotional strength and development. So even though we're off the court, you know, no racket in hand, there are things from, let's say, a movement quality standpoint, this athlete is having an, an issue with, and there's a struggle, you know, this is a weak point. Well, how they handle that challenge, that adversity is an opportunity for me to tell them, hey, you know, we can get around this by thinking about that. And we spoke also about a different thing uh, before our recording about another player and thinking about the present moment mm -hmm. and thinking not about the past because the past is the past. We can't do nothing about that. There's nothing you can do to change. It happened. It happened. Focus on the present. And if, let's say, for example, there's a footwork drill that I work with with a certain athlete and there's 20 seconds on the clock. And it's completely randomized. It's open in that sense. I don't have no say. And they might have stepped in one direction that they should not have gone in because they have to go to the opposite direction. That's where the light is. That's where the pod is lit up. And they kind of get that little frustrated oh, or they turn and they kind of give up in that millisecond. I have an opportunity to say, hey, keep going, keep going. Because if you focus too much on that error, well, maybe there's not an opportunity for you to get back and get one extra point on that yeah. 20 seconds. And how does that translate to being on the court? You have a miss hit or you had to reach and the ball looks like it's just going to be a soft floater. You're setting your opponent up for a winner. That doesn't mean the point's over. Right. There are so many things that can happen. And I think, again, the athletes, the players who understand that, are honestly sometimes the winners in a lot of those circumstances because sure. they don't give up. So there's an opportunity and the relationship, the last bit, the relationship that a fitness or strength conditioning coach may have with a junior or an athlete might be different, of course, than the relationship they have with their parents who might just say, you know, be commenting on how they're playing on the court this night. They're mom, I don't want to listen to that. Okay, dad, yeah, I got it. The tennis coach, being a little bit more of the commander in chief also on court, there may not be opportunities for this child, for this teen to really have a kind of unopinionated conversation with someone. And this is across other sports as well. We serve on the fitness strength conditioning side of things to be this very well balanced role of authority and of kind of close camaraderie and friendliness mm -hmm. where we can have these athletes open up and talk to us. And we can also, if we're lucky enough, also have played the sport as well and understand the language and everything else considered to influence them by, you know, teaching whether it was our lessons that we had to encounter or lessons that they should be learning at the same time as well. And funny enough, those bonds are, and those lessons can almost immediately transfer over. And as a parent, if you're listening or coach, you're listening, that might be the winning ticket, a third voice mm. in the conversation. Right. Yeah, it's really interesting. And and I'd never really thought about it this way, but you're right. Like if you're you're the strength and conditioning coach and you're working with an athlete and they're struggling to perform a certain activity or exercise, you have that opportunity to be the voice of, hey, don't give up. 
you know, keep going. If you're in the middle of a match and you miss a ball, you're not going to just quit the match. You've got to keep fighting and play the next point and the next point and the next point. Same here. You know, you're in the gym or you're on the field and we're working on these skills and, you know, not everybody gets it the first time. Not everybody gets it the 10th time. And you have to just keep persevering. And that is a quality that you want your child to develop. You want them to have that no quit attitude and to keep fighting hard, even when they're faced with adversity, especially when they're faced with adversity, because once they're not playing tennis anymore competitively, there are going to be lots of other opportunities in their lives where adversity is staring them in the face and they can kind of pull out of the depths of their memory. Oh yeah. I remember when I was trying that new exercise with James and I was tripping all over myself and, you know, he kept encouraging me to do it again, do it again, do it again. And then I finally got it and how good that felt. I can do this. I can keep pushing here. So yeah, I mean, this is what I love about our sport, right? There's so many opportunities to teach these kids these important life lessons that go way beyond the tennis court, go way beyond the gym. You know, they just, they permeate life. It's awesome. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore. It's, it's, it's not just the game. We're not just only focused on the result, but we're also focused about the process. So James, I have a question for you, and I didn't even mention this in our our pre-show conversations, but if somebody's looking for a strength and conditioning coach, a fitness coach for their child, how do they go about finding somebody that's qualified, that is going to be teaching skills that are not just going to enhance them as overall athletes, but are tennis specific and are going to translate well to really growing in the sport of tennis? It is a difficult process. Yeah. Let me tell you that. <laughs> I like how you kind of shrugged off if you're watching the recording. You're like, oh, I've been there. You know the process. Yeah. It is tough. And I'll explain it in two parts. One from the professional standpoint and one from the, I'd say, on-court, like, you know, referencing part. It's a issue that's only... I'd say really present in the United, in the United States, in the U S yeah. where the fitness industry isn't one, I'd say regulated to a certain point. There isn't a unified regulate regulatory agency. You have a ton of certifications. And if you're a parent listening to this and you hear this agency and that, and this specialization and this, you're like, what do these acronyms mean? I have no idea. I guess this is, a really good person or they look qualified. There are all these letters in front of their name. Uh, it is a tough process. And if you're, you know, trying to figure that out then from a professional standpoint, and you're trying to look through friends and families, you're trying to go through coaches. A lot of coaches do not know. And these are tennis coaches do not know who sometimes to refer out to, sure. you know, they know, they know physical therapists, they know chiros, they have some, you know, it's, it's usually a club atmosphere. A lot of people know a lot of people, but the fitness side of things, if you're at a tennis club, those areas are sometimes not even present at all at the club level, let alone, you know, 
opportunities to know where to go. So, and this actually was a conversation that was a part of a conference at the US uh, PTA conference down in Seal Beach, bunch of coaches. They did not know who to refer out to. Mm-hmm. And I saw that as an opportunity. But if you were to find someone, I think one, if they had played the game before, big, big bonus there. If they also express more or less the, I'd say, proficiency and understanding how the human body moves, that's another big bonus. Uh, In most cases, you're also going to have to rely on a network to that end. Uh, There aren't too many uh, professionals who work with athletes to that end, but if you get your child through a small group setting for fitness, kind of developing that aspect first. Usually high schools also have a lot of strength conditioning coaches, fitness coaches, there are areas of that direction to go through. And I think contacting your regional, you know, USTA um, kind of representative or USPTA representative, there are some resources there and to kind of help you to understand who to go to, but it is a very difficult area uh, that I hope, you know, we can start building from a professional standpoint. This is, you know, from talking for me, a former junior, former USPTA coach, and now, you know, two master's degrees later, nine years of experience, and, you know, the love of working with a lot of these athletes mm-hmm. that I, I really want to foster that area. Yeah. And it is tough. I mean, we have the ITPA that Mark Kovac started, and that's a great resource too for finding professionals that do know and understand tennis specific training. Um, But you're right. It's, you know, the fitness industry is not well-regulated. I mean, for that matter, neither is the tennis coaching industry. We do have the certifying organizations, but as I've discussed many, many times on this podcast, Coaches are not taught junior tennis development when they go through a certification process with these coaching organizations. They're not taught about, you know, long-term athletic development. They're not taught how junior comp works. They're not taught how college recruiting works. So, you know, even when there are certifying organizations, the qualifications to get certified may not be sufficient to get the level of quality that you're looking for in a coach or trainer. So asking questions is always super important. Referrals are always a great way to go too. But so James, if, if somebody's interested in talking to you and getting more information on what you offer, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Absolutely. Well, first off is probably going through a contact page through my website. That's jameslshapiro.com. And you know, starting to have a conversation there. I work with a lot of people, not just in the Southern California region, but also across the U.S. through different time zones. And, you know, I put out a lot of educational kind of blog posts to that end and that extent for tennis performance, what to do in the weight room, how to kind of gauge development over years as well, as well as a lot of other topics. Mm -hmm. That's one. And I think, one of the purposes I found as well, working with this community back again now, after all these years, is to educate. Because, you know, finding a coach, 
on court is pretty easy in this end, right? But as you just alluded to, it is also still difficult to find someone or to ask questions as a parent, if you're listening, or a coach, if you're listening, to then enhance your understanding. You know, that's one area I want to be a contributor and do the most I can to help parents make the informed decision or coaches, but also then understand the process Mm -hmm. as well, because that's an area where we want to do the best. You know, my parents did the same thing. And I work with a lot of parents who want the best for their son or daughter. We all do, they want right? To get any resources? We, yeah, yeah. We all want the best for our kids, but sometimes it's just really tough to find the right person or team of people to help our kids reach their dreams. And and so you know, listen. That's why Parenting Aces is here. We we're trying to bring these resources to the parents that are looking for them. And so now parents, you have one more resource in in the fitness arena, James Shapiro. We will have a link to James's website in the show notes on parentingaces.com. So um, make sure to click on that and take a look at the resources that he has provided for all of you and will continue to provide. Um, James, if they want to contact you individually, is there a contact button on your site or an email address that you prefer to use? There is a contact button. There's also a kind of fill out contact form page towards the bottom. There's a contact tab at the top. Actually, you know, you get to either uh, text or call. So if you're going to do that reference, I, Hey, you know, I heard your advice on the podcast and I really love to have a conversation. Granted, if I answer it, I'll be surprised. I'll be happy to as well. But, you know, you can also email me at james at jameslshapiro.com with any of your questions or uh, any conversation pieces you want to bring up. Awesome. And again, we'll have those links in the show notes on parentingaces.com. Well, James, it's been a pleasure to meet you and to chat with you. Maybe we'll get to meet in person now that we're both in SoCal. And um, I hope that happens sooner rather than later. Yes, same here. I love the conversation. And uh, thank you again for having me as a guest. Absolutely. And to my listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast. For tennis parents, by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at parentingaces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.